Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we talk about popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm putting all my cards on the table. Just just right now, just open heart, open mind. We're, we're, we're hitting the, the last five episodes of Game of Thrones Season 5. I think I can call right now who's going to end up on top. Who's going to win the Game of Thrones? It's going to be Mace Tyrell. You don't have such a lovely singing voice and not win the Game of Thrones. Just just wouldn't make any sense otherwise. I mean, I'm Alex. You you should have heard Taft's cover of Moon River. It was it was heavenly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Britain. How do you think he got to be president? <laughs> <laughs> I've looked into the future and there will be a song. That's right. I also have green sight. I'm President Taft. <laughs> <laughs> That that big tub I got stuck in was actually my oracle chambers, <laughs> where I see the future. Indeed, Mace, Ty- Mace Tyrell is the Game of, of Thrones version of Taft. This is the, it all. This makes so much sense to me now. <laughs> it all comes full circle. We are talking about Game of Thrones this week, um, as he so graciously introduced us. We are talking about episodes 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 of season 5. We are not talking about a movie. I am a liar. Um, the first episode is <laughs> Unbound, Unbent, Unbroken. Then we've got The Gift, Hard Home. Um, dude, I have not written down the titles. Oh, no. Uh, uh, Dance, Dance of, of the Dragons. Dragons. And, uh, Mother's Mercy. Mother's Mercy. There we go. I... Did not miss a beat. Um, the uh, writers that we have for this week are all uh, DNT, DB Weiss, and David Benioff for the uninitiated, except for the first episode, which is uh, Brian Cogman in what is probably a rare miss for him, I would say. Usually his episodes are pretty well acclaimed. This one obviously is quite controversial for reasons we'll talk about. Um, and then we have, uh, as far as directors go, uh, Jeremy Padueza, Padezwa, but, but something, um, is directing, or has directed episode six, um, Miguel Sapochnik directed episodes seven and eight, and then we do finally have a old face returning in David Nutter doing episode nine and ten. So, finally, uh, putting it into the string of people we have never heard before uh, directing these episodes. Yep. <laughs> oh, our, uh, our IMDb scores, uh, the, we are the official Game of Thrones podcast of IMDb. Um, and <laughs> that's untrue. You cannot sue us for that. Um, no, but we do have very specific lists. <laughs> yep. <laughs> please uh, please read, read my forum on <laughs> Olivia Wilde movies I haven't seen but want to. <laughs> it's just book smart that's the only that's the one, <laughs> the, one movie. Um, the uh ratings for this week are kind of all over the place we, we've talked about how in the past they were like 9.1 9 8.9 8.8 and that was like every episode that wasn't an episode for something big happens um this one is an eight for episode six um a nine for the gift uh, 9.9 for Hard Home, which is tied with Reigns of Castamere uh, up to this point. And then 9.5 for Dance of Dragons and 9.1 for Mother's Mercy. So 
kind of a, a mixed bag according to our friends at IMDb. Uh, do you do you guys agree? Do you uh, uh, give thoughts, opinions, comments, questions, concerns? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think this is a this this was a, a difficult five episodes for me. I, I I feel like these five episodes brought out the problems that I the biggest problems that I have with the show, um, but also showcase some of the things the shows the show does best. So. It's, it was it was I think a mixed bag in many ways for me. Yeah, I think I'll I'll probably be the most positive on these five episodes based on on what I've I've gathered. Um, I, I know this set has some of the more controversial elements, kind of of the entire series in terms of it, you know, just going too far in certain areas. And I do agree with that to a certain extent, but at the same time, I kind of see. I think I kind of see where the, where the showrunners and everyone involved are, are kind of coming from. Um, I, I think this was a pretty pretty solid set of five episodes. I enjoyed them quite a bit. Well, All right. <laughs> I also I also did a. I think that the last three episodes of this are very very strong in particular. Yes. Um, I think you can tell that uh, our boy Miguel. Uh, knows what he's doing uh, in episode seven. I think that his, his skills come across well in that. Um, I think for me, it's it's really episode six and then a couple of decisions within those last three episodes mm-hmm. um, that do tarnish it a little bit. But overall, I think it's a, it's a really strong end to the season. Um, a lot more like season two, I would say, where, sure. where you it, it is a slower build um, and a little bit like season one as well, where it, it does just take some time for it to kind of get going, but then it, it snaps off and a bunch of events happen. All at the same time. Yeah, quite quite so. Yeah. Well, who wants to start with uh, best and worst? Shall I, or does somebody else want to jump in? Yeah, Britain, take it away. Okay. All right. <laughs> Doing your little, uh, your little finger chin stroke over there. No, you go first. <laughs> Welcome to Fingerpod, my new show. Ah, oh, gross. Ah, oh, stop it. Um, you see, some men, when they want to fool the other men, they let the other man go first. <laughs> I want the test it. groups didn't like Little Pod. <laughs> I wanted to call it Baycast, but that had already been taken in every possible permutation by the internet. <laughs> um, what's a super hulock? Anyway. So, uh, my worst episode, I believe I'll be starting a trend, is episode six. Um, I, I, I want to preface this by saying the, the, reason, the reason Game of Thrones can upset me as much as it can is really because I think it's a really good TV show. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's because they make so many good decisions that throws the decisions I don't like into starker really. It's like, oh, this is such a clear deviation from what I know you can do and what I've seen you do. Um, but number six is going to be my worst. I do think it is, generally speaking, the weakest. I don't think it's a terrible episode of TV, but sure. I think it's the weakest overall. But it really is because of the the ending of that episode where the wedding night of Ramsey and Sansa and the assault that that involves, um, which also involves uh, forcing Theon to watch. Um, 
it's it's a tough scene. Uh, it was one that I already knew was coming. It is in the books and uh, with a different character, Jane Poole. Yeah. Um, but it, it's 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 tough, and it should be tough. It it the 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 times that I get most upset with Game of Thrones are when I feel like I see what you're going for, and I don't disagree with your overall storytelling goal. I just don't think you needed to go this far to achieve that goal. Um, and this is a trick, a particularly tricky one because you know, we talked about the Jamie and Cersei scene in, in episode in season four, and how that felt then and feels now so just out of place and like wait, wait what what really okay why there's no consequences like there's not discussion of it like what this just is this a thing that happened whereas with this there is the the clear intention of there's a reason for this we all know ramsey at this point this is something that ramsey would do this is, is not a surprise that this happened and there will be response not not just in terms of retribution but the, the this is to bring characters to a certain point it helps get theon back to his senses it further hardens sansa and it further drives home how terrible ramsay is my argument would be there are a lot of ways you could bring theon to his senses sansa's already pretty hardened we already yeah. know ramsay's terrible um or even just there's a way to depict this scene that's not literally sexual assault. There are other ways that you could have this sort of, uh, some sort of abuse or some sort of, you know, horrible thing happen. And, um, you know, I think it's particularly tough because Sansa is a character who we have seen grow from a 12, 13 year old child. And so it just feels very different. It's not about liking one character between her and Cersei more than the other, because likability is not <laughs> a metric for, you know who sh mm. who should or shouldn't be assaulted in TV like nobody should be, but there's a particular type of pain in seeing that happen to Sansa, and uh, yeah, I just feel like they had another they had other options, and I kind of wish they had had taken them. That said, the scene is not as explicit or as graphic visually as I thought it would be, which is is you know relieving, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, uh, the audio is rough. Um, yeah, the, no, and, and it's not it's not an easy yeah. scene to listen to. Full disclosure, I didn't. I I just sort of fast forwarded through it just so I was like, okay, I'm I'm basically getting a visual composite of what's happening because I already knew what happened. So yeah, I just I didn't I didn't put myself through that just because I know my stomach. Um, and but even beyond that, I feel like that episode is just kind of kind of humdrum. There's a fight between Jamie and Braun with the sand snakes that is kind of disappointing. <laughs> Alex has used the term mm -hmm. second unit to describe it, which I think is very fitting. Uh, the choreography just felt kind of clunky, like maybe the actors didn't have as much time to train, or I believe they were only shooting on that location for like a week, so I think a lot of the Dorn stuff felt kind of rushed in for that reason. Yeah. Um, aside from maybe maybe the stuff on the beach or something they might have had more time with. But um, yeah, just overall, there's some weird little editing blips, and I just felt it was kind of murky. Uh, my best episode, I'm going to say, is Hard Home. Um, I think it's a really strong... Uh, Converse, I think it's a really strong episode overall, but then its ending is fantastic. That whole battle is yep. wonderful. Uh, love, love seeing 
a bunch of fast zombies get get ripped up. Love seeing a giant called One One swing a flaming tree at a bunch of skeletons. That's tons of fun. It was just like they they took a a, a battle episode like Watchers on the Wall, but just condensed it into twenty minutes, and it was just so well done, and uh, just a really good good time. And yeah. These are both episodes that have a lot to unpack, so I, w- I won't harp too much or harpy too much on either of those two episodes. But yeah, those are my bests and worsts. Okay. <sighs> fun fact about fun, fun facts, real quick. Just, just a little delay here about uh, our boy One One. Um, I don't know if either of you know this, but he is uh, his name comes from a. Uh, in joke amongst George R. R. Martin and a friend, um, where I I I have like tried to memorize the story many times, and there's too many like details that I'm not that familiar with to like stick it in my brain. But basically, um, I believe, and I don't want to say this uh, wrong because I'm sure George R. R. Martin would be very upset. Yeah, uh, George R. R. Martin is a, a huge um, New York Giants football fan. Oh wow. Um, and their their quarterback at the time of writing this, I guess, which would have been th- somewhere in the <laughs> the aughts, I guess, um, was Phil Sims, who is number eleven, as in, and that's where one one comes from. Oh. And in the books, there's this whole thing where he kills a uh, castle black crow uh, named Sir Patrick, mm. and George made a bet with a friend named Patrick. That who was like a fan of the Dallas Cowboys that the Giants would win or whatever, the and and the bet like the the result of the bet was that uh, he would kill Patrick in his book and so like the the Giants won so he got to kill kill his create his friend in uh, a song glass and fire and kill him uh, with a giant named one one I love which that which is just like the most esoteric weird like oh that's so good. George is such a is such a guy. He's oh, just... that's that's really fun. <laughs> I really like that story. I think that's the the most eloquent way to describe him. He's just a guy. <laughs> He's just such such a guy. Every time I oh George, see... you guy, <laughs> you guy. Every time I uh, think about one one, I think of this vocal like tongue twister warm up we had to do in theater that goes one one was a racehorse, one two was one two. When one 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 race, one two one one two. So that's just what I think sure. about all the time. But this is a way better story. <laughs> that's Ian White, correct? Yes, yeah. I believe so. Our, our guy who was the mountain at one point, and he was a White Walker, maybe yeah. a couple times, maybe continues to be, I don't know. It's um, popped around in the show. So, fun times. Indeed. Uh, Alex, do you want to go? I can go, either way. We both have the same episodes for best and worst, if, yeah, I, if I understand correctly. So, <laughs> uh, uh, I'll, I'll go. Um, uh, my worst is also episode six, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. Um, I'll try and be brief with my, my opinions on, on, on kind of the, the Sansa Ramsey stuff. Like I had said, I, I think... I, I, I think ultimately the show is going too far. And they probably shouldn't have done that. I think, particularly because I, I think there's ways that you can probably speed up the Sansa Theon story, where that maybe like Ramsay is trying to attack her, and they're able to like knock him out or wound him. Then they run outside, and and uh, is it Christina? Uh, Miranda. Miranda. 
Uh, Miranda corners them with a bow and arrow, and they're able to they kill her, and they kind of jump off, and then yep. it's kind of ambiguous about what happens to them. I feel like you could almost do that at the end of that episode, and that's just the last we see of Sansa and Theon for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you um, you had brought that up because we'd previously talked about it, and that's kind of broken my brain thinking about that because I think that makes way more sense because um, th- like the they didn't. Because they've they've taken this storyline for another character from the book who's, like, a very minor character. um, And then they've given it to Sansa. And it's like, uh, I appreciate your consolidating stuff. But the fact that you're doing that also gives you the freedom to just, like, not do it. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so you really just need, like, if you can just get one more scene of, like, replace that scene with some other emotional torture Ramsay is putting Sansa through. Like the scene where he's kind of tormenting her about Theon when they're all at dinner. Um I think you can just stick something in there, delay that, so that then all the Stannis stuff happens, and then Ramsay can be like, oh, I have to go off, and well, our wedding will have to wait, dear loved one, our, our, right. I have to go kill Stannis. Um, and maybe that's when he goes off to ransack Stannis' camp. And then you can, yeah, you can push all that back, so that then the last scene that we have of them in the season is uh, Ramsay trying to, like, basically initiate their wedding night and then she fights back and theon jumps in like that's where the turn happens and that just makes a lot more sense to me i think it is more effective um if that's like what actually breaks theon because as it is in in both the books and the show theon kind of is just like i've had enough i'm gonna do it now um i I mean that would be a better to be fair i i i think that the show has been kind of consistent about having giving Theon multiple chances to kind of turn things around sure. or to yeah. try and he just keeps failing and messing up over Which and would over be again. The um, one counterpoint I think is that it is very effective that he's just staring there and he's just so yeah. like conflicted. Um but yeah. yeah. I, and I I honestly I, I don't feel like too mad or upset about it because like like Britton had said, like all the characters like it tracks. It's not. It's not like the Jamie Cersei thing where Jamie's just completely out of character and there are no consequences and and like you can literally excise that scene and like it won't change a thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is very important and it keeps the story going and, and it will affect Sansa, Ramsay, and Theon moving forward. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's ultimately like you you, you could have done it better, but I, I personally am not too upset by it because we've had maybe it's just because we've had this <laughs> this this version of a rape that was so much more egregious earlier sure but I, I don't know um and, and then also we've had like other just really just scenes that are horrifyingly uh, brutal to women like uh, joffrey forcing ross and the other prostitute to to hurt each other um yeah. that's super messed up and then there's a scene that we will talk about um in episode 10, I believe, um, that Britain is not a fan of, and (laughs) it's, it's, it's a choice. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, ultimately I I will settle on, I'm not too upset by it, but they could have done better. Um, but yeah, episode six is just kind of, I feel like for the most part that that's not necessarily filler, but it feels like the one episode where it's just like things are kind of slowed down and we're just kind of prepping for the, the craziness that happens over the next several. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the, the Dorn stuff, I, I think everyone online needs to, to chill out and, and quit being so mad about that. Um, it's perfectly acceptable. It moves the story forward. Just relax. And, and based on how convoluted my, you know, y'all have kind of explained to me how just 
crazy the Dorn stuff gets in the books. And, and you know, we don't have time to introduce 20 new characters on this show. Yeah. Um, but the show in the, the set of episodes didn't really fix my issue of the, the scope of Dorn feeling so small. Um, once again, we only have like, we have a desert, a beach and the water gardens. That's about it. Um, and yeah, that, that fight scene between with, with Jamie and Braun fighting the, uh, the sand snakes is just, it's very underwhelming. Um, I thought everything else was kind of fun. You know, it's, it's not the worst thing ever. (laughs) Yeah. That, that is the only Dorn scene where I was really like, ah, this is kind of bland. Otherwise, I thought yeah. Dorn was really fun. <laughs> Had a good time there. I yeah. think the rest of the episodes we have here, there's there's some yeah. good scenes there. Yeah. Um, for me, episode nine, I'll go with uh, as my best Dance of Dragons, um, mostly because of the end fight scene at the the fighting pits with Daenerys mm-hmm. and and Jorah shows up and he he throws a spear into the crowd and it, you know all the all this craziness ensues with the, with the sons of the harpy attacking. It's just it's just really well done and I love how the tension is built up so so expertly and then when, when the the harpies do actually show up it's genuinely terrifying and you think oh they're just they're just gonna kill off everyone aren't they Tyrion just got here they're all gonna die <laughs> um, <laughs> which i wouldn't put past this show yeah, um, sure but yeah I, I think all that was was really good um and then there's you know obviously the stuff with shireen happens in this episode which i think is another good example. I, I think this one, you know, it's, it's, I, this is probably the toughest thing for me to watch on the show. Mm. Um, cause it's just so horrifying and depressing and, and her screaming as she's being burned alive. Um, is just like the most haunting thing ever. Um, but once again, it, it has a context in the show. It makes sense within the show that all the characters are doing what they're doing and we immediately deal with the consequences of it next episode because yep. most of Stannis' army leaves because they burned <laughs> a little girl alive. <laughs> Including Melisandre, which is great that they're just yeah. like, ah, uh, she's gone. I lo- I, well, I love how <laughs> she that realized scene, she's made a huge mistake. I love how that scene escalates where just like one guy is just like, my lord, uh, half your men are gone. Uh, my lord, your wife hung herself. Uh, my lord, <laughs> Melisandre just left. <laughs> <laughs> Very biblical. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, also, e- episode nine, I, I would probably say. Yeah. Like, Hard Home's wonderful. Uh, Dance of Dragons is wonderful. Mother's Mercy, like, it has the Cersei's Walk of Shame. It has John getting stabbed by all the, the, the traitors, the mutineers at the Night's Watch. Like, it's, it's got so many good moments. Um, and then the scene where, you know, Theon and Sansa, they, you know, they kill Miranda and then they jump off is actually, you know, that's, yeah, that's pretty really great. strong. Mm-hmm. I guess the best thing about these episodes is that, once again, Bran is not in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I will say, I think that... We, I feel like next season is when we finally get interesting Bran stuff. Yeah. I, I think it is literally taken until season six for I the Bran storyline to be genuinely <laughs> in, intriguing. Yeah. Uh, but we'll obviously, we'll obviously get to that. Um, the... Uh, yeah, I, I agree with both your picks there. Um, episode six, I think it's it's just there. There are better ways to do the the ending. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked about this before. I, I I think it really is. It's it's the fact that you've got this series written by uh, George, and then D and D have a very similar perspective to George, and they're not really like 
probably getting an inclusive enough or diverse enough writing staff to be like, hey, let's consider, like, is this going to be offensive? Or, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is, should we try to be at least a little more sensitive? I mean, obviously this show does not pull punches in terms of violence and things like that. But um, this is obviously a very particular topic that yeah. does have more implications than just, you know, oh, God got his head cut off. Um, so I, I think it's just something they, they need to, to consider more and probably could have made a very justified change from the books uh, if they, you know, had that outside perspective. Um, uh, and then also, yeah, the, the Sand Snake thing, and I think it's very striking that to compare Episode 6 with uh, our best that we've chosen, Episode 9, because the, sna- the Sand Snake battle between the Sand Snakes and Jamie and Braun um, it features the sand snakes uh, who have like one of them's got a got a spear like Oberyn, and one of them's got a whip, and one of them's got uh, daggers, and then of course Bronn and, and Jamie both have swords, but Jamie's impaired because he's using his left hand. So like, but he's also got his golden hand, which we saw you know, yeah. in the previous episode. Is like, oh, that's something that you know he can use kind of to his advantage sometimes. So there's all these things where it's like this should be a really interesting fight, um, but it really just does not feel practiced or choreographed to any real extent. Um, it feels like it's really suffering from from what Burton was telling us that that they just had a limited amount of time there, so they just had to put yeah. something together real fast. But like watching Hard Home compared to that, mm-hmm. I mean, it's night and day. Well, and specifically episode nine with the fighting pits because yeah. you've got such a variety of fighting styles, which is one yeah. of the things I really love about episode nine. Uh, you you've got the sort of mini Oberyn mountain fight at the beginning to start it off, where you've got a big dude and a small dude, and Dario and Tyrion are all talking about like, oh, you know the the big guy he's gonna lose because the fast guy always wins, and Tyrion's making this face like I want to throw up, um, <laughs> and uh, and then ultimately of course the big guy cuts his head off, the, the small guy's head off, uh, but the small guy's like dancing around, he does like a little Dark Souls uh, roll to the side <laughs> at one point, it's pretty good, <clears throat> and then when you have the big fight with Jorah. Uh, where he's facing off against a bunch of people, you get, like... Oh, I, I wrote down, because I, I noticed this specifically, um, Jorah, who's fighting, you know, like a very traditional knight, and then there's a guy who's got a spear, using it like Oberyn did. Um, you've got, like, a water dancer. You've got a guy with a who, who's fighting very similarly to uh, Sirio uh, from way back when. And then I think there's also a Dothraki fighter in there. There's a guy with, like, a shield. And, and so you've got this variety, and they're showing how this is affecting how they're fighting. Like, they're, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's affecting their fighting styles, which is something I think the show, by and large, has really started to get down, is uh, demonstrating how these fighting styles clash and affect each other. And uh, we talked about um, Grey Worm and Barristan in episode four of the mm. season, I think, fighting in the crowded hallway and like they're they're obviously very good at what they do but then they're getting overwhelmed and how does that affect things with all these guys who are like kind of close fighters with their weird knives and things um so episode nine is this really great showcase of what the show can do with fighting choreography and, and different fighting styles and like has developed this world because now you've got different examples of different um fighters versus that episode or that battle in episode six that is just very they're kind of moving around, pointing a spear, doing a little whip, and <laughs> th- throwing a dagger. Like, there's not, yeah. there's no dynam, dynam, dynamism. I don't know. <laughs> dynamic. It's not dynamic. Uh, and so I, I think it really sticks out. Like, I think it sticks out like a sore thumb when you've got a lot of really cool battles uh, going on throughout all this. Yeah. Um. Despite so, yeah, starring, I mean, yeah, despite starring one of the leads from Iron Fist, 
one of the great sure. action television uh, properties. <laughs> I just uh, find the irony that that like iron he is irony. iron fistony. Yeah, yeah. I, I I find it ironic that that uh, I can't remember the actress's name. Plays uh, Colleen Henwick. on Iron Fist. What was that? Uh, Jessica Henwick, I think. Yes, she is. I think easily the best actress or or act she has the best acting on on the iron fish show which is a not great show um but (laughs) but here i I don't know if it's just because she's stuck with an accent she's uh she's not great (laughs) yeah she's also up against an academy award nominee and tyene who's the only one who really gets any material (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, do we have any particular starting points? Uh, I don't know, as far as episode 9 goes, if I have other, like, strong first thoughts. Um, uh, I, I would just like to say that, that regarding the, uh, our, our build-up of Daenerys and, and trying to make the, the end of the show make some sort of sense, she continues to threaten to burn down cities and force people to do what she wants. Yeah. <laughs> There's an extended sequence where she's talking with, uh... Lorak right before the the Sons of the Harpy attack and he ends up getting killed in the crossfire uh, where he's like um I know you keep complaining about this but like we're here now and you've you've approved it like I don't know why you're still complaining and she's like I'll burn cities to the ground I hate you <laughs> yeah there's there's a, a conversation in eight where she's talking to Tyrion and about like he's like well it's this wonderful thing where they're sizing each other up and she's like well how do I know yep. I should trust you and he's like how do I know well, they're both like how do you know you're worth my time and all this. And, and he's, yeah. she's basically like, well, I can win the war. I've got dragons. I can just kill everybody. And Darren's like, no, you can't. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> and she was like, the small, the small folk will rise. And he's like, that's not everything you need. <laughs> like, trust me, I, I've been there. That is not what you need. Um, and, and there's a several, there's a lot of scenes of her watching the fighting pits being just grimacing a lot. And I know it's a completely different situation, but I was like, Oh, now you hate violence, Daenerys. Now, you, <laughs> now you hate it. Pretty ca- well, well, well. Looks like your old pal Bloodshed has come to collect his due. <laughs> and I know that it's. She feels like she's watching innocent people being forced to to fight each other for entertainment. It's a completely different type of thing, but still. And very, very. It's a valid concern, and I think. These what we've seen up to this point really, really nails down the fact that it's like it's not that she's always wrong about no. like what is what is right. Like she doesn't her morals are not completely out of whack. No, but she's often very off in terms of like what is the political thing to do here or what is the right. um, the thing that's going to most inspire the people that I'm trying to lead. Like how am I going to win over the people? Uh, she seems to always go the other direction. Uh, at the wrong time. Yeah, like, right. it, There's a lot of that going on uh, that I think is very fascinating to watch. She goes to the extreme because she can. Yeah, yeah. And, and and she still thinks like, oh, that's how that's how you do good is you just make the bad thing stop happening. She doesn't realize like, sure. oh, I'm just cutting off branches. I'm not not hitting the roots. Right. Um, and I, I love yeah. And it was really nice that that Tyrion and Daenerys like finally getting together and it's like oh the we're, we're starting to like all the storylines are starting to to kind of become cohesive and kind of unite it, it's nice that like them meeting isn't 
a complete disappointment. Like they have really <laughs> good scenes w- together. Um, yeah. But like her whole thing where she's like, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to stop the wheel. I want to break the wheel. And yeah. it's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, how are you going to go about that exactly? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I had a question within episode nine. First of all, I loved Tyrion just schooling his Dar and Dario during that whole they kept being like, well, you know, this about stuff. And he's like, actually, this about stuff. Yeah. Um, I liked all that. There's a part where when, after the harpies attack, the harpies are terrifying, by the way. They're super scary, and I love it. Um, Those masks are so effective. They're really spooky, yeah. And uh, after Jorah throws the javelin and gets one of them, which is awesome, and suddenly everybody in the crowd is a harpy. They're they're all helping each other dig it down to the ground to escape out the out the side. And Jorah, like, holds out his hand and Daenerys takes it. Can Don't you get grayscale by touching the skin of someone who has grayscale? And can Daenerys not get grayscale? Is this something to be covered later? Mm. Is this something the show discusses no. later? Okay. <clears throat> don't think so. I think it's more just... Probably the implication is supposed to be if you don't touch the infected part. Okay, so mind. if you touch li- li- if you touch the grayscale, then you get grayscale. Because, yeah. like... Think, yeah, thinking about Shireen, um, I don't know if they explain exactly how this works. I actually don't know if this yeah. is... I don't remember how they say they cure Shireen. Um, but... uh, I think Stannis just says he brought around some uh, like a whole bunch of, of maesters from around Westeros, and they fixed her. I, I don't mm-hmm. think he goes into any more I, detail. I believe there's an implication um, in the books that there's there's something about like if you try to drown them and they survive you can stop the grayscale or something like there there's Mm. something with that because it's tied to the iron board in some way i i'm probably completely misremembering this um but basically if it is something to do where you have to like hold somebody underwater or something you would have to hold them somehow i don't know right that ended up not being a very informative point (laughs) because i remember when Tyrion and jorah run into them Tyrion's like don't let them touch you so I just thought, oh, it's transmuted by touch. Trans- yeah, by touch. But then I went, oh, well, I think it is communicated. But then, since these are people who are covered in grayscale, then any yes. part of them that they touch, okay, exactly. that 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 answers that. Um, but yeah, that scene is awesome. And Tyrion saves Missandei, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of great fights. My last note after a bunch of capital letter notes and excitement is, oh yeah, his dar died. <laughs> 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 right, that Harsh. that happened anyway. Um, and which then, is great. Because uh, I don't remember if it's in these episodes earlier. I think it was in the last set um, where Daenerys uh, burns one of the masters alive uh, just because she's like, screw you. One of you may have possibly done a thing and I don't like it. I'm going to make you all be afraid of me. Um, I feel like the fact that his star is killed by a son of the harpy implies that he was not involved and therefore... She, she probably was not close to right. figuring out which of the maesters and the, <laughs> or masters, which which definitely implies she probably just burned an innocent dude alive. Um, I don't know if it, that's a hundred. Maybe maybe that'll there will be more revelations. I'm forgetting later, but uh, sure. just my thinking there. <laughs> yeah, I want to say in the books. Maybe that was he, a bad idea. I want to say in the books he might be in league with the harpies, but also so. in the books they're not even. Tyrion hasn't met Daenerys yet, yeah. so. Um, yeah. but uh, all that's great and then Drogon shows up and it's just like 
It's so good. Because they do such a great job of like, we won! Drogon's here! He's torching everybody! Oh, Drogon might not survive this after all. Like, mm-hmm. that's such a great, like, turn. And then Daenerys is like, the only way to save him is to ride him. <laughs> but, which admittedly is great, and she totally rides a dragon yes. out of the arena. Yeah. It did have the Hollywood moment where she's, like, reaching out to, like, see if, if sure. there's still that connection there. And it's, like, a 30-second sure. moment. <laughs> I'm like, somebody would have stabbed her or stabbed him again. It's, it's like, fine. It's like Roos in The Red Wedding. It's just so, someone comes up. <laughs> stabs the, nope. the dragon in the eye. <laughs> All right, I'm done here. Um, yeah, I, my my all caps note for this week was uh, Drogon. Yeah, um, because I think it's a really effective scene because a it it, it shows oh hey you know the, these dragons aren't invincible. We we've now yeah. identified that like they can be hurt by spears. Obviously, Drogon will only continue to grow, and the other dragons will as well. Um, but that's something. Um, but then also it shows how destructive they are. Like, he, you know, he's just completely burning guys alive and we have not seen them do something of that scale. Like the closest it's been is burning the, uh, the, the warlocks and burning, uh, Krasnas. Yeah. yeah. And that was yeah. quite a while ago. So we have really not seen them do anything. We've seen the aftermath. We've seen like the sheep bones and the child bones. Um, but we have not really seen them like, wrecking people and this is the yeah. first time we get that and it's like oh wow that's terrifying it's great um and drogon looks incredible mm-hmm. uh i think there's a i feel like the green screen specifically on daenerys writing him is a little bit iffy it's a little tricky um, yeah but obviously that's a difficult effect to pull off especially for a tv show this is not a movie <laughs> like this right. is, we, we are still technically watching a television show um and i think in terms of his design and the actual like just the effect of him looks great um so yeah yeah i i completely agree uh, episode nine also has some some cool uh stuff earlier on i can find my notes here um doo, doo, doo. there's a there's quite a few i really like dorn in this episode actually there's quite a few good things yes um <laughs> because you, first, I really like that Doran uh, has like an actual political move uh, that that is quite smart. Um, yeah. Where he wants to send uh, Tristane Martell to Tristan, whatever uh, to uh, to King's Landing with Jamie. He's like, all right, I'll let, I'll send Marcella and my son back, and then right. he's going to be on your small council. So now you'll have a representative in Doran because Oberyn was supposed to do that. Um, and I, I think that's really smart, and I like that a lot. And it shows, like, okay, this this guy knows how to he knows what he's doing. Like he he's yeah. he's keeping his son happy, you know. He he's he's be, he's making a kind gesture, and then also he's uh, getting himself a, a bit of a foothold in King's Landing, or at least attempting to. Um, and then also there's the uh, bit where Tristan his his uh, basically what he says Jamie has to allow in order for him to forgive Bronn punching him is that. Uh, Ario Hoda has to punch Braun instead, and he does, and Braun is very confused and just <laughs> like gets completely walloped, and it's it's great. Yeah, that's a very funny scene. Uh, you also there's that heartbreaking conversation between Davos and Shireen uh, mm-hmm. before he leaves, and he made her the little deer, and he says, "Thank you for teaching me to be a grown up," which is just wonderful. Uh, yeah, it's it's just so fantastic. Um, 
And of course, Mace does sing and to Mark Gaddis and Mark Gaddis or Gaddis is just so displeased with Mace literally from the first time he gets off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this, of course, is, means that they, he's in Bravos and Marin Trant is in Bravos and Arya is out yelling about oysters. And then she sees Marin and her Robocop senses just <laughs> target acquired, locking on. Um, so, so we, we mentioned th- this is a segue into the other thing that really bothered me about this, this group of episodes, which is the handling of Marin Trant. Uh, Marin Trant, for people who don't remember, is the Kingsguard who killed Sirio in season one. He's been on Arya's kill list uh, since she had one. And, and he I would a... also like to note that he was also the one who was carrying out Joffrey's orders whenever he was like, oh, hit Sansa. Oh, right. just tear just... Sansa's clothes off. Oh, yeah. yeah, rip her clothes off, beat her, whatever. Yeah, For, uh, look, yeah. Force her to look at Ned's head. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so now he's, he's in Bravos, and Arya tracks him to a brothel where he keeps turning away sex workers saying they're too old, they're too old, until it is revealed that he wants very young, like, tween women, tween tween girls. And I was like, okay. I, I think what is probably happening here is that the show wants to create even more... They, they want to give a very violent death, so they want to really make us hate this guy. Okay. You you have... In, in, in episode 9, I wrote, like, so he's a pedophile? Is that necessary? But nothing has been nothing has been graphically depicted or anything like that. It's like, okay, I don't really mm-hmm. see why we went here. There is the justification Alex mentioned. Or not justification, but, like, there's a bit of... Background. Yeah, there's a bit of, like, oh, okay, here's this. I see it. But it still felt like... It doesn't have to go this far. But then in episode 10, we come back to Marin, and he... Uh, is in his the room in the brothel with three young girls, and I mean like twelve year olds, like children. One of whom we never her her hair is in front of her face and her head's always bowed. Guess what? It's Arya, and she totally killed him. But he's like got this cane and he's striking these other girls. And the hard this was the hardest scene for me to watch because it was watching these young young actresses having to like pretend this scene that I felt was totally unnecessary. We already knew, like, all Arya had to do was one line about, like, you killed Sirio. And then everyone who doesn't remember is like, oh, okay. And then Arya totally kills him. And Alex actually had a good script doctor idea. We were talking about this previously, that uh, maybe what they should have done is have that, that scene in the brothel where he's only wanting younger women, but you don't see anything. And then he, in episode 10... He's in the room just with one girl, the secretly Arya girl. And so that, that I think, still would have been excessive, but I would have been... I, I, I think the, re, the thing about when you go to excess is you, you run the risk of losing your audience because they're just so uncomfortable. They can't really get the thing you're... Like, by the end of that, epi- by the end of that scene, and Arya kills him in an extremely violent, bloody process. It was very Tarantino. And it was like... At this point, I, I can't have fun with this because I'm, I'm not thinking about. Oh, I'm so glad that guy's finally dead. I'm thinking, why did, did, did you have to? I get, yeah, I, I understand. He deserves the death, but like, did did you have to make him deserve it that bad? Like, there's, there's so sure. many ways here, or at least to have just pared this down <clears throat> and made it a more palatable experience to communicate this same information. 
Um, so that that was really uh, upsetting for for Britain, because um, like it, 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 what what I think could have been just a really satisfying like, and Arya finally got. I mean, she got Polliver previously, um, and and in the book, there's a character called Raph the Sweetling, because just why not? <laughs> Let's just have these just name characters, whatever, George. George. <laughs> Well, I had stopped by a, the Sour Patch Kids store in New York when I was naming character. Um, and uh, I was playing a Candyland game. Uh, but yeah, it, it's do you just, think? And, and do you think was, George? Yeah. Uh, real quick, this is not a good point, but I'm going to make it happen anyway. Do you think uh, George takes so long with the books because he just is so distraught over like which names to use? Like he has so <laughs> many, and he loves them all so much, and he just doesn't like he. You can't. He wants to, and that's why he has so many characters. Is that he just he has to keep making these <laughs> names appear in the books. Like he can't, he can't stop that. He's like, these names are so good. I need them to be free to the world. Is there a way that I can spell Dylan kind of medieval? Hmm. Dylon. Aha! And he'll be the lord of. Well, I need to make another country if we're gonna have a Dylan. <laughs> You know what? You know what? Six more chapters. New POV character. Six more chapters. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, apparently Raph the Sweetling held a lot of these these traits. And, and similarly to the Jane Poole Sansa thing, it's like, I understand the consolidation, but this also gives you the opportunity to not, or to at least sanitize it. And Game of Thrones is, is a show that, you know, often does not sanitize things, and I think that, that often works to its benefit. But you you need to know when to to pull back a little bit and that can be just as effective if not more effective um like i'm really grateful that we didn't actually watch uh shireen get burned like we saw her get tied up and we saw the flames get lit but then most of it is on other people as we're hearing her and that was haunting in a very different way uh it's just, it's it's strange how this this season where they chose to be explicit and where they chose not to be, such as when Stannis dies, yeah. <laughs> is is a is a time where I think we're all like, we actually probably should have seen him like actually die. <laughs> yeah, we had also uh, dis- that's my little discussed this um, that like because obviously the the way it happens is Stannis is leaning against a tree and then Bran uh, hacks at him and we see it from like Stannis's perspective and then the screen cuts and we go to another yeah. scene. Um, and, like, it does feel like one of those cases where we need, whether it's the head rolling off, we need the, the bloody sword, we need Bran standing there. We don't even, I mean, like, it's, I can see how it would be effective to not show, like, exactly what happens. Um, sure. But I think there's an opportunity there to do something that's a little bit parallel to uh, Ned's death in the first season that I think mm-hmm. would be quite nice. And, uh, yeah, it, it does, it is kind of an odd choice to cut off there um, when this is, such an important character to the show and like we spent a lot of time yeah. with him and so it's kind of like feels like we could have just a little bit of that catharsis that like he's gone yeah the yeah, thing that frustrates it, me about it is that most of the deaths like most of the key character deaths like they're all explicit yeah. like yeah the fact that they cut away from it like i feel like and and I, I remember this being like a kind of a point of contention and i know a lot of people hate the way stannis is handled in this season anyway I think it's handled pretty well, except for this. Um, like, don't 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 leave it ambiguous about if a guy could potentially be coming back. If he's it, like, just don't do it. 
Like it, it feels very much like the the Cyclops death in X Men Three, where it it happens no. off screen and they cut away, and it's like. <laughs> To what end, though? You're just going to make me more confused when they don't show up. Because I'm, I'm questioning your intent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it, felt, it just felt very perfunctory. Like, it, it, it just like, oh, yeah, and Sanus is gone now. Okay, but yeah. we all, like, we were all invested in that story. Like, yeah. even if we didn't love him, we cared about, like, where this was going. And it also didn't feel cathartic, to me at least, from the Brienne side of it, of, like, because it all seemed to be carried out through Stannis. And then suddenly Brienne's like, ah, yes, my big revenge mission. I haven't been here for a few episodes. My whole thing has been about Sansa, but now I'm going to kill Stannis. What? Yep. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Like, it all, it all, all the math is right, but this, this, the poetry wasn't. <laughs> Guys, the poetry wasn't right. I, I think on a rewatch that that scene isn't as much of a problem i think that's sure. that's more just like the first time seeing it it's like that's there's a couple of weird choices but i th- i feel like i i particularly was picking up on a lot more of, of brienne's kind of hatred of stannis yeah. and and she sure. does bring up a shadow with the face of stannis baratheon she says that over and over and over again <laughs> um so that 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 didn't quite feel as jarring to me and i i really do like when <laughs> She's calling back to a decision yes. he made, like, at the very beginning of this campaign. And he's like, oh, yeah, I did murder my brother with blood magic. Slip my yeah, mind! The thing is, I, on paper, I really like Stannis's arc. You know, that his is one of... of He, he is so... Um, I don't know the word. Pious, I suppose. But he, he, he is just... Hub- hubris, yeah. maybe. Hubris is the better word. He's, he has such hubris. Sure. Like he's so devoted to this this campaign that his the thing that made him a good leader, which was his practicality, his pragmatism, just starts to fall away piece by piece until he burns his daughter. His wife commits suicide. He sends his only good advisor away. His bad advisor's like, uh, <laughs> so yeah. that he can burn his daughter. Yeah, that, he, that he realizes, like, oh, you have good ideas, and I don't want you here. So, so that you won't stop me. <laughs> and then for him to be, to, he loses his campaign and then is killed. Horrible act of selfishness within this campaign. I think all really works. It just, the execution of it, yeah. for me on a first time watch, felt perfunctory and the, felt kind of. The, uh, oh, okay. The execution. Yes, uh, the execution there it is. The execution. Is, um, uh... and, we, and we haven't really, dis- as much as you talk about Sanders in, in our podcasts we haven't really mentioned how really 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 good Stephen dylan is as stannis mm-hmm. it's like he, he's so good on this and he hits all of the comedy of that character like stannis is kind of a funny character they, yeah. they use him for comedy in a few places and dylan just knows how to sell it he's a he's a great straight man yes like yeah the way he plays off absolutely and you know th- through that whole storyline davos is really the one we're supposed to be really following and he's the guy that we're keeping um appropriately so but uh yeah so so that first time i was just like oh well okay i guess i just don't get to see stannis anymore (laughs) anyway (laughs) (laughs) i really love the collapse of his army Mm -hmm. um right before that because first of all um i i i can't help but feel that stannis just has this real affinity for weird meat Um, (laughs) one of the first things that happens after ramsey comes in and, and wrecks his camp um, is uh, that he just like immediately tells Davos he's like round up the horses get get their meat when you eat the horses yeah <laughs> like, the, the dead ones 
Uh, it's and, just and he's talked about like they, eating they, pigeon and stuff. Yes, they, he's talked about like during sieges how much weird animal stuff he's eaten. <laughs> I feel like there's something there. I think the man is a bit exotic. Oh no, I, I assume that the gastro tourist that he is when they got to the wall after the big fight and he saw the mammoth tracks. Davos had to, like, restrain him as he charged after them with, like, a fork and knife in his hand, like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. <laughs> we, have to take, uh, we have to take Winterfell, you know, the Boltons are traitors and we'll hold the north and we can take King's Landing from there. And I bet Direwolf tastes real good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. Oh, Stan. But uh, following that, yeah, the, he burns Shireen, and then his army's like, no, <laughs> and they leave. Uh, and then the the snows do clear enough that they can yeah. actually get to Winterfell. Um, but then he gets there, and his army is just completely like they don't have any horses. They're just like wandering, and and they're they look completely just like not an army. It's just like a yeah. ambling mob. And uh, Ramsey just rides out there and just is like, oh my, when you see the overhead shots, because immediately half his army just starts running back into the trees. Yeah. Like, you can see, see in that overhead shot, it's just like, you see half of them just like, no! Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not! Well, more than that, I like the beginning where, where yeah. Stannis expects this to be a normal siege, and he's like, oh, start <laughs> building trenches. We, we've got a little time to prepare. <laughs> you just see the horses coming over the hill. <laughs> It's just not a good day for Stan. Yep, okay? He looks at the camera and he's like, not a good I don't day. stand this. And then the... Beep. Oh, Stanny. Stanny boy. The pipes are Episode 10 in general, <laughs> I did find fascinating because uh, it, the, real, the real vibe you get is just like, we can, we can slap so many deaths. In this bad boy. They really um, just started plucking left and right. Every scene <laughs> for the first chunk of the episode is just you got Miranda dying, you got Stannis dying, you've got um, talk about Marin Trant. Uh, I believe. Oh, I mean Celise to start the episode. Yeah. Like I feel it felt like for a second there that every scene they were showing was like we got to kill off a minor character. Yeah. Um, which is fair because they got to you know they're they're focusing in. We we talked about Tyrion and Daenerys finally connecting and so yeah. like the they're starting to to whittle away some of the fat here um which is pretty interesting and uh i think it's also effective with the i haven't talked about the episode titles this season but a lot of them are bad um because <laughs> first of all in the first five episodes we didn't mention this but like you've got ones that are just called like sons of the harpy yeah uh and like high sparrow and it's like these are not uh, the Game of Thrones has some really great titles that are like multi. You know, they can apply to different meanings. We mm-hmm. talk, we praise some of these titles. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that a little bit because some of them, like even even not even on a literal level, but on a thematic level, yeah. seem to tie in with most, if not all, of the plot lines in said episode. This one was just like, we've got yeah. a scene with Daenerys. Um, we'll call it Dance of Dragons. At least that one. And it's like, well, how does that... And that is one thing I want to say, is can, that can both uh, with that? Dance with Dragons, or it's Dance of Dragons, but the, fi- the fifth book is called A Dance with Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also uh, A Feast for Crows. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Ramsey says a feast for crows. Both are mentioned uh, in this, which is probably kind of corny, but I kind of love the fact that it's like these are the last episodes we're adapting from the books, and we mentioned both the books yeah. that we're adapting from. I thought that was kind of neat. No, I was with it. But um, I think the worst offender is actually episode six because it's like, oh, oh, you, you know, it's unbowed, unbent, unbroken, and you're okay. That we're, we're ending with an assault scene, right? Where Sansa's is bent over. That's awful. I don't yeah. like that. Um, yeah, and obviously that's pulling from the the Sand Snakes episode. So it's like, well, they're trying to do two meanings, but I think that's pretty yeah. poor taste. Um, and then uh, that all that being said, the last episode is called Mother's Mercy, which I think is quite effective because it's like, oh, you've got all these people who are being chopped off. <laughs> we're we're axing yeah. a lot of these a lot of these characters, and it's mercy. Yeah, like we're getting rid of them <laughs> in a in a very uh, faceless man sort of perspective. Yeah, Mar- Marcella's gone because Alaria's like, "Goodbye, dear. I'm gonna make out with you real quick." And I was like, "Oh, Alaria, <laughs> that's gross." And then I realized what's happening. I was like, "Oh, Alaria, that's gross." <laughs> but and, and there's also like a really, but that's just like a weird scene where <laughs> Marcella is like, "No, Jamie, Uncle Jamie, I know you're my dad, and you know what? I'm happy about it." <laughs> And I was like, I get, I get what she's, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. This is kind of weird. Now she's got a nosebleed. I'm sad for Jamie. Yeah, yeah. Although no, I, I, I thought yeah. that whole thing was just really heartbreaking because I, I liked how no, we, yeah. we finally, Jamie finally starts to to find people who accept him for who he yes. is and kind of the t- <laughs> some of the t- decisions that he's made in life, and it's just like immediately. Well, one of them killed the other person who's actually your daughter. Those are the two people who now accept that that you sleep with your sister. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like the way he starts that conversation. Where he's like, "No, you interesting. You you didn't think you were going to love him, did you? I guess we we don't choose who we love, right?" <laughs> I was like, "This is great." Um, yep. So we bid adieu to Marcella, played by actual human named Nell Tiger Free. That is her real name. Um, so. Thanks, a Nell much Tiger. less distracting, <laughs> a much less distracting <clears throat> recast than uh, Tommen, uh, yes, because yes. we have not seen the actress before, <laughs> and, and, um, and in enough years that she would look different. Right. Yes. Yeah. That all that all worked. And uh, does Tristane stick around? Do we see more of him? I I believe we'll address him. Okay. Cool. 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 Forward. Um, I don't remember what exactly, but yes. I we'll did. I did want to ask. Because I, I feel like immediately Jamie would be like, oh, it was Alaria and the Sand Snakes. They they yeah. just killed my daughter. Why does the boat not turn around? <laughs> I mean, that would my be really funny would be... if you say the boat just like, <laughs> beep, 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 no, beep. No, seriously, I thought like, come that, on. Seriously, that, that scene, I, I was thinking like Alaria and the Sand Snakes are kind of standing on the, sh- the shore watching the boat leave. I almost thought like, it would be kind of amusing if the boat just started to turn around and she's like, <laughs> oh no, we timed it horribly. Now they're just going to come back and execute us. What happens is an arrow flies through the air and takes out one of the sand snakes. And you just hear Nikolai Costa Wilda going, scoreboard! <laughs> uh, Braun, I'll give you 50 if you get all of them. <laughs> uh, my, my actual argument for that would be that it's it's... I don't know who all else is supposed to be on the boat. I guess they've sent some guards, um, but like it's it's Jamie and Braun, and like, yeah, that's true. That's the only ones who are going to bat for yeah. Marcella, probably. And so, I mean, 
obviously they'd probably try to Duran would probably have them arrested or what have you so it's, uh, th- it's not a huge an deal and i understand I... dramatic license for them to visually see the boat as it's leaving but i just thought yeah. it was a tad bit silly <laughs> well and if you think about uh yeah no i think it's also like an editing thing because if you think about with braun um there was a, a he also got hit by the same poison yeah. and it took him much like quite yeah, a while i guess i guess you're so right. there's it kind could, of an, could be an editing thing. i think Christopher um, Nolan stepped into the editing bay for this episode I, and was like, hmm, sure. not enough confusion with yeah. the timeline, guys. <laughs> if we're really going to nitpick this, uh, <laughs> I will say that Alaria does start, her nose does start to bleed as they're watching the boat. And it's like, mm, that doesn't really, that t- if, if it's working that fast, you would think they would turn around. I don't know. Maybe a small problem. I don't know. I don't. I also don't remember how they like pick that storyline back up in the next season. So we can we can uh, relitigate that. Look, I'm not going to say season five is the point where the show went downhill because of that, <laughs> but <laughs> but this this does also have the line that I don't know how we can say in a censored way um, <laughs> that that uh, yeah. has been much maligned. It's one line, it, you know. You need the bad not... um, female sex organ. Yeah, <laughs> you. I think that's worse. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So. Yeah. So basically, the setup is that Tyene, the youngest Sand Snake, so therefore the most fitting to uh, flirt with famously craggy-faced Jerome Flynn. <laughs> very handsomely craggy-faced man. Very handsome craggy-faced. Sure. But she's been flirting with him and teasing him and taunting him and all this stuff. And so as they're saying goodbye, she, he's like, "Well, I gotta go get married," and she's like. You want you you think you like to have a good wife, and she grabs him and she says, "But you want the bad friendship." And <laughs> and then she yeah uh, sends him away. You want the bad Octo James Bond movie? <laughs> that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. We've already had this discussion. We just True. it's just we spin in circles. Yeah, if I had thought though, of that, I would have just said the name of the movie. Just but, but that. That, I will say she is literally talking about that. She is using it as a yeah. more a explicit sexual term. There, there's there's no euphemism here. There's there's no reading <laughs> yeah. between the lines. I think I think it's pretty blunt. And and the thinness of the the uh, euphemism in the James Bond film is about as thin as the silks tying parts to tease uh, brawn. Sure, but still, it is there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, I regret I brought too. anything up. Uh, no, no, it's, we're, we're we're a comedy podcast. Um, <laughs> I did want to know well, while we're in episode ten. First of all, conversation while we're on the subject. John and Sam talk about Sam and Gilly having had sex, and it is so cute and sweet when John and Sam talk about it. John's <laughs> like he says something, and he's like, "Oh, because Sam wants to go be a maester," and John's like, "You know, that makes you swear off women too." And he's like, Sam? Sam! (laughs) It's really cute and really sweet. I am confused by all the Arya stuff. So, interesting, because I actually thought it kind of cleared up a bit, and and they they were wasting less time (laughs) as opposed to the first five episodes. Okay, so let let me explain what I think happened, and you can correct me. Arya kills Meryn. She goes back to the Faceless Men. And she's talking to, talking to Jockin, and mm-hmm. Murder Uncle, and she's and she's like, "Yep, I did it." And he's like, 
you weren't told to, so it was bad. And she's like, but I wanted to. And he's like, that's not good. If you steal a death, you have to pay for it with a death. And then he takes a poison and dies. And then she's like, no, Jockin, you can't die. And the waif is like, why are you so upset? He wasn't your friend. And then it turns out it wasn't Jockin. It was just any of the faceless men. And then it turns out the waif was Jockin. And then, or, or theoretically Jockin. And then he gives Arya a potion that makes Arya go blind so she can better become, quote-unquote, no one. Yeah. Is that all correct? Yeah, you pretty much got the idea. I think the the one confusion, because I've seen people, like, lob this criticism at the show, is that the waif comes back. Like, the, the waif is still a recurring character. Okay. Yes. And so, like, people are like, oh, they completely, like, screwed up. Like, they have no idea what they were doing there. Then they, like, retconned it later. I really think the implication is just when when she thought she was talking to Jockin and the waif uh it was actually some random dude and yeah. Jockin yeah um that, that's that's really what I, even, I read from it as well yeah yeah we really don't even know if Jockin is like the same guy like we like right they could just be using the same face like we you know there's and i think it's part of the implication is that like yeah. She really can't. Arya is still very much trying to like connect, and, and like the part where she says, "He was my friend." You know, I'm upset about this, and then yeah. Waif Jockin is like, "Well, he's actually not. He was no one." Um, I think that's part of it is that she's not really getting the fact that like the faces don't mean anything. Almost right. Um, the Waif does become more of a character that she does actually have like a relationship with. So that I think is something that is supposed to always be the Waif outside of the scene. Sure. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's the idea. Is just like Jockin was posing as the waif. Yeah, that, that's, shock, that's how I a, took a shock it. thing. Yeah, I, I didn't think um, that the waif was the one that died. I thought that was just unknown faceless man. Yeah. Also, the uh, the the medicine to make her go blind. I don't think that's necessarily. I think it, that's that's more a punishment than it is uh, something um, for training. I see. Yeah. I see. Now. It, readers of the books have a theory that Sirio was Jockin. Um, yeah. I'm, I believe I am to understand the show dispels that theory, or at least is just never proves it. It never, it never it's tries never to thing. Okay. connect those dots. Um, <laughs> also, <laughs> Alex, I want to I wanna bring you in for a moment. Pull the curtain back on the wider Game of Thrones, or <laughs> sorry, the wider A Song of Ice and Fire community. Mm. Um there are many prevailing theories, which, knowing George, maybe they're true, I don't know, yeah. that uh, the f- Jockin is both Dario um, and Bingen Stark. Okay. <laughs> the, these are very common things, is, like, these all these characters that, like, look kind of similar are somehow connected because Jockin can change his face. Yeah. Um, there may be, like, enough implications in the book that it's not completely insane to think that, but oh. I also don't think any of that is true. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, uh, the, the mystery of Benjamin Stark is akin to Justice for Barb in Stranger Things Season 1, where it's like, yeah. I don't think this is as big a thing in the show as you all <laughs> think it is. Like, yeah. I really don't think it's that big. I think you are making it a big question, but it's not really a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, I didn't know about the Benjamin and Dario situation. Because mm-hmm. Sirio, I think, and, and the very thin justification i heard is oh because that would explain why Jockin was so like invested in Arya at first and i was like well i think it was because the, he just went and saw something in her that he could 
He yeah. could like get her attention. The one neat thing I would say is that Jockin does come from the cells in King's Landing. Oh, so yeah. it's like, oh well, if Marin, you know, captured Syria or Syria let himself be captured, and then took off. Sure, but also, sure. like, I don't. It doesn't really. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Again, there's no evidence for this other than oh, that's kind of a coincidence. And so. I th- yeah, and that's that's the kind of thing that if it were cool, or to me, if it were true, it'd be like oh, that's kind of cool, but it wouldn't like save the story to, to me. It, it, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, and oh, I that'd also, be a neat thing, but I also don't need Syria to be alive. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish it were in a way, but it, it's kind of like how they. Uh... With the MCU, they retroactively say, oh, the little kid that uh, has the Iron Man mask in Iron Man 2, right. that, you know, he fake shoots the drone, that's that's Peter Parker. And it's like... Okay. Uh, okay, that's a nice bit of trivia. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, okay, um, I'm, that's neat that someone's Tumblr fan art has now been made canon, but, like... Yeah. <laughs> some, some stuff can know. just be cool fan art. <laughs> like, I don't know. St- stuff like that just, just comes off as a whole bunch of fan fiction to me. Um, yeah. Sure. And, and, I mean, the, the, Game of Thrones does have mysteries. It does have, like, reveals. It's I'm not going to say that, that speculation on this type of stuff is pointless, but... Right, like what you're saying, where it's just like every single person that even remotely looks like Jock and Hagar could could potentially be yeah. a, a, a faceless man or whatever. I'm like, I don't. How about you wait until it gets revealed, and then I can care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this this is also, I will say, to to justify a little bit why there are so many crazy theories about the series. It's also a product of waiting so long. Right. Yeah. And right. just being like, I have nothing else to do, but I really like these books and I'm going to reread them and pick yeah, up on new true. things and be like, well, that's maybe true. this is the thing. So, the, I mean, like, it's also, it's not crazy to me that this is where they went. How much of it is George just like using the same five descriptions for people over and over again? Because isn't there like a whole thing where it's like he gets confused about like a person's eye color or there's like inconsistencies? He, so I wonder if that kind of fuels it where he's just like, I've got a new name that I want to do. It's a Ned type. I don't know. He's got a beard. <laughs> he has. It's, he has. Face, I don't think it's face so much. preset too. <laughs> exactly. No, no. That's that's what I'm thinking. Like a video game. Like trying to build your character. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's so much. Uh, he only has a few descriptions. I think it is. He has so many characters. Yeah. And at a certain point you're going to revisit some things and yes he does there are i know a couple of discrepancies between like how he describes characters that are just i think he's said at least a couple of them are just like nah that's i just like forgot or whatever sure, like sure. It, something <laughs> it, it made it past the editing um so yeah it's a whole thing yeah. um e, there is some point i was going to go off on what were we talking about before that? <laughs> that was, um that was an the aria waif episode 10 um i was gonna say also the thing about the implication of that on aria's story i think it's really interesting and i've brought this up before as we've talked about it that aria has a lot of different mentors talk who help her kind of confront death Mm -hmm. yeah um i like that a lot i think that that's there there's a lot there uh in terms of the fact that she has all these different perspectives and, like, Syria doesn't really have the same philosophy as Jock, and Syria is like, no, yeah. we tell death not today. Um, whereas Jock is like, oh, de- death is a god to be worshipped. And uh, they both agree on that, but Syria says, no, you, you have to tell him no versus, like, serving him or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think it's that's a really effective part of her story is that she gets all these different people telling her different things and, like, 
making her continue to obsess over and confront what death is. Um, so I feel like it, it would cheapen it a little bit if that was if that was the case. Sure, sure. Anyway, <laughs> uh, does so that get... clear up your confusion about the weight in episode <laughs> 10? It does. Um... <laughs> Also in episode 10, uh, we can... Oh, a bunch of Dothraki pick up Daenerys. So, there's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a bunch of Dothraki. Um, and then uh, Cersei does her walk of shame. So here's uh, my big takeaway from that. The woman walking behind her saying shame a bunch made it kind of silly. Sure. Not not cartoonish. And I think that because well, that scene escalates so much and gets so, like, Hunchback of Notre Dame... Um, with people just throwing cabbage at her and stuff, uh, I was like, "Okay, this is no, but uh, this is not silly." At, f- at first, it felt a little like, mm-hmm. "Okay, but come on." I, I would use the word absurd, though, and I think oh, it works really maybe, well yeah, there. Where it's yeah. like you've got this uh, these religious fanatics who are like, "Oh, they're you know enforcing a very particular set of rules on the upper class," and then you've got the mob who just wants blood, like they yeah. <laughs> they just want, and so it's like the dichotomy between that and it's like they're not really changing the hearts of the people by making Cersei do this punishment or even yeah. really changing Cersei's heart, but Cersei's being put through this awful thing that continues to reinforce, as we've talked about many times, what the people on the ground are thinking and feeling yeah. about the people in power. Um, yeah. And I found that very effective. I, oh, it's I'm, just, I'm, it's just super haunting because it, it's, yeah. it goes on just long enough for you to start feeling bad for her. And you're like, I don't mm, know if I should yeah. be feeling, I guess yeah. I, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, apparently somewhere it was voted like the most satisfying scene on TV, and I was like, I did not feel satisfied by it. I felt like bad for her. And also at that point, I was Harsh. so like that the season had just like made me just angry in a lot of ways. So I was like, this is too far. Um, I wonder <laughs> I if it's a metaphor. Out, Go ahead. I, I just want to point out it is an interesting technical marvel because Lena Headey is actually not naked in that sequence. Mm-hmm. They have a body double. Mm-hmm. Yeah, body double. And I think she would do some takes in like a body stocking that they would put. Yeah, it's, it is very impressively done. Yeah. Um, I Even watching yeah. it now, I think I I couldn't really tell. No. I was looking forward no, to it. Yeah, sure. I was also aware that like the, where the head beats the, the body, like it yeah. doesn't really. And the guy who exposed himself to her? Totally CGI. They just they took him out of Teen Wolf and plucked him in there. Um, I was going to say no, no, it was Andy Circus in a mocap suit. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, uh, what was I going to say? I wonder if it was a metaphor on the part of D anD D to be like, we are the faith militant who are all about structure and commentary and the audience is the mob who as if someone is naked they just want to yell at them and throw stuff at them they just want nudity and blood and we're trying to talk about redemption and tell a story and take we're we're trying to walk these this these characters down a a path and put them through trials about self-reflection but the mob the audience they just want to throw cabbage <laughs> I mean, I think you're right. I, I mean, go true. go look at the vitriol that is the response to season eight. I think it that there's some truth <laughs> yeah. to that. I think there are certain people want to throw cabbage. <laughs> I think there are certain Game of Thrones fans who just who like it best when it is bloody. However, that is done. However, they get it. They just yeah. want yeah. Uh, blood and circuses. Um, 
Me, I'm just sitting here going, I... my cabbages. <laughs> speaking speaking of the the vitriol, um, I do want to talk about Stannis's decision to burn Shireen. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that D and D have said was directly given to them as a plot point. Right. Uh, I think it makes a ton of sense. Uh, St- Stannis, it makes perfect sense in both the books yeah. and the show. Uh, killed his brother with blood magic, then burned uh, or was willing to burn his brother's son alive with blood magic. We're, we're only so far away from his own child. <laughs> like it's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially when you can, cons- when he consistently shows such like utilitarian ideas. Um, there's the entire conversation he has with Davos where he's like, why, why should I care about one bastard boy? I'm trying to save a kingdom. Uh, and it's like, Ultimately, the farther you, you go along with that, the more you would be willing to sacrifice to achieve what you believe is the right thing. Right. It's like a Thanos thing, almost. Like, it's the same, you know, that's the extreme of this line of thinking. It's like, I can literally, you know, as long as I save some people and it, it outweighs the people that I have hurt, then that's fine. Yeah. Um, but there are many people who absolutely refuse to believe that Stannis would do that in the actual books and they they think that D&D like misinterpreted what George was telling them <laughs> that actually it's not going to be Stannis it's he's he's not going to be there like he's not going to be involved in the mm. choice like it's it's going to be done without him and I'm like he's involved in every other choice yeah that that he like and totally is willing I mean the the uh, whole point is that Melisandre and the prophecy and all this stuff the mysticism and the blood magic that is supposed to be his downfall and that is the mm-hmm. centerpiece of it I don't I feel like if if you want to remove that the way that, that some of the fans theorize that that's how it's supposed to shake out, I don't know how you can do that and have it still yeah. be effective. Yeah. I, I have no no answers. <laughs> I just <laughs> wanted to touch well, on that. D&D misinterpreted. What George really said was Stannis brings her some very warm tea and she burns her tongue. <laughs> I was going to say uh, uh, he he roasted her. It's just like a one-hour roast, and, and he's just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. you got burned. He just, he, they're all just sitting at a long table, and it's like, hey, so Shireen, uh, you get, get some uh, get some lotion on this kid, huh? What am I – What a, anyway. And then there's a lot what of shots. of idiot crits grayscale as a kid? There's a lot of, like, shots of Solise, like, doing <laughs> doing spit takes and stuff. <laughs> It is, a, literally a called a, it is literally called a friar's roast. <laughs> when <laughs> Melisandre was like, when I first met Shireen, I thought, thank God I don't, thank the Lord of Light I don't pay portraits. Anyway. <laughs> um, on a serious note, I do really love the fact that Solis is the one who ultimately breaks down yes, during the I agree. Um, yeah. burning. Because, like, I think that is so... Central to where, like, Stannis is like, I made a decision, I'm doing it. It's, we're, we're committing. I, yeah. You know, like, this is what's going, I have decided, I have analyzed, this is the best choice, we're doing it. Yeah, I've, I've accepted it. I've already, like, I, there's nothing for me to process about this. Where, like, Solis has spent so long trying to convince herself that, like, what Stannis is doing is right, and that, yeah. like, she is a faithful follower of, of Melisandre and the Lord of Light, and that, you know, all of this is, is for the greater good, and then finally it just snaps. Um... And it's horrifying and very effective. I I completely agree. Um, yeah, that 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 I do think as as upsetting as it was, I do think it uh, it worked. Um, also, just wrapping up season ten, we do get or episode ten, 
season 10, which people want. Um, episode episode <laughs> 10. Uh, we get Zombie Mountain, finally. Uh, mm-hmm. Hanging out there. With, I do like that Kyburn's like, Your Grace, I'm so sorry. It's so good to have you back. It's okay. Check out my big friend. <laughs> Did you look at this? Um, and also, just like... I'm so proud of him. <laughs> this is my best friend and giant son, Robert Strong. <laughs> I named him Robert because I figured it's like your favorite name. Uh, <laughs> I also just like the Don Coscarelli film, John Dies at the End. So that happens. Um, <laughs> Al- Alistair, uh just when I was starting to like him too. Uh, yeah. They, they get him out there. And, and, and <laughs> Sam had a line to Ollie in episode eight when he had been talking to Ollie about, like, unpopular decisions, and then he says, John always comes back. And I was like, ah, ah, you said it! Mm-hmm. Um, but then Ollie is the there's one There's also, who, I was gonna say as a setup to this, there's also a great scene where John comes back from Hardhome, and he looks out, and he sees Ollie looking at, or standing on the, the battlements, and he's like, my my best friend Ollie, at least he's gonna appreciate <laughs> me. Like, he's gonna, he's missed me, and he looks up, and Ollie's just, like, staring at him stone-faced. And, and the frown that leaves Kit Harrington's face is perfect. Uh, or the smile that leaves it, I should say. Um, it's good stuff. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, and, yeah, and this, this completes the uh, trifecta of a Stark man commits an execution and then dies at the end of the season. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I really love the way Alistair does it because, uh, the way he's, he's so smarmy when he says for the watch. Yeah. Um, it, it's like a very like, oh, it's nothing personal kid. Stab. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was yeah, building up some, not affection, but some like, all right, Alistair. Cause he, Alistair had been really like, no, you know, cause there, there had become that like tense respect between him and John. Yeah. And Alistair was like, nope, you're the commander. Sure thing. We'll do this. I got you. Let's do what we got to do. And then, but also it, 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 it still made sense for Alistair to like, no, ultimately though, this was, a, I'm, I'm going to stab you in the stomach. Yeah. The, the, the way he says, he's like, for the watch. And you, yeah. you're also, you're almost imagining him after that going, you know, something like, um, that's something you would know about. <laughs> <laughs> he really wanted to do like a whole monologue, but they didn't. He was just like, He's all like, right, we've all agreed. Look, I promised I would let multiple people stab him. I guess I'll just <laughs> say my one thing and get out of the way. He steps back and he's like, did you hear that? Did you say, did you hear I say By the watch? way, I, I, I do want to mention this. If I remember correctly, the, the kind of uh, – What's what's the the opening bit that they're like uh, last time on Game of Thrones? That, that previously on the, yeah the like, previously on yeah if I remember yes. correctly when it premiered they they had a little bit of that like to refamiliarize the audience with Benjamin Stark and kind of what mm-hmm. his they, what his mm. whole deal is so that way when they you get to that scene. scene and it's like oh yeah, yeah yeah and then like a complete subversion and I feel like. I haven't felt the need that, like, we need the previously on for any of the episodes except for this yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Because, sure. I, like, I, I remember who Bingen is on the show, but I feel like especially for a first-time viewer, you're not going to remember at all. Well, that and also, 
even if you were, because uh, this is a little bit different than the way it plays out in the books. I don't remember exactly. There's actually a whole, like in terms of the decision, it's a whole different thing because I believe John actually gets stabbed over the decision to, he he ultimately gets a letter from Ramsey saying that he has Arya, even though it's not Arya, it's Jane Poole. Yeah. And we don't know for sure that the letter is from Ramsey. Uh, but John is like, oh, uh, I have to go to say, go to Winterfell to save my, my sister. So we got to go. Like, I'm going to lead the Night's Watch out of here, um, which is odd. And I don't remember how that reconciles with his discussions with Stannis. I don't remember if Stannis tries to get him to go with him. That seems, I'm really that not means, sure. That seems very inconsistent. <laughs> There's a lot there. Um, but, uh, and it could be, com- I think it's probably completely different in the books. Like, all of that is, I, I just don't remember what the details are. Um, but, uh, point is, it's a different thing. So the traitor sign is like, that's not exactly how that plays out where they, they convince him. They're like, ah, Benjen's back. Um, the, if you're a book reader and you're watching it for the first time, then you're looking at this previously on and it's like, oh, oh snap. Are they going to like, we're at the edge of the books. Are, is Benjen going to come back? Like, is that going to be a thing? What's going to happen about the John's tabbing? Where did that go? And so then like through the episode, you're wondering, are they actually going to reintroduce Benjen? Even if you know what happens because they're, they're doing it in, in a slightly different way. Um, and so then at the end, it's like, oh, oh, I see. <laughs> right. Um, funny um, enough, talking to Benjen, one of my notes during Hard Home the White Walker that John fights, I wrote, White Walker, Benjen? Nah. Because <laughs> he, like, was wearing kind of Night's Watchy armor, and he had, like, long hair and a beard. Maybe that was Benjen. Maybe he got Benjen, Benjen got White Walker fight. I don't know. Uh, but I don't think that was him. Um... You don't say. <laughs> Within a uh, hard home, uh, that, that whole fight, continuing with the John stuff. Oh man, just so so good. First of all, Lord of Bones dies, just Tormund's like, mm-hmm. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> and just starts like neganing him. It's it's pretty Yeah, great. as as we had discussed, a quick quick bit of trivia. Um cuz Lord of Bones uh and we did not actually confirm this to make sure, but I believe you're you're right, Britain, that Lord of the Bones was uh s- disguised as Mance Raider and was the one who actually got burned uh, by Stannis. In the books, and, yeah. Or, yeah, whatever happens there. And then Mance Raider goes to Winterfell and helps uh, Ty- Tyrion, helps Theon and Sansa escape, and it's mm-hmm. a whole thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I have no commentary <laughs> on that except, like, man, D&D <laughs> did such a good job. <laughs> yeah. And then there's, like, a whole sequence with Ivan Ooze. He shows up. <laughs> And he's no, seriously, like, John they... Stark, where's my autograph book? <laughs> I love that movie. Um, it's so good. Uh, yeah, the, the way that they've condensed stuff, just based on, on everything that, that both of you have told me about where the books go, I think they've done, like, it, it, it's a solid A for effort in terms of oh, no, the way they, they've it's, condensed They've done stuff. very good stuff. You know, you know, be- better choice to the... Better choices than others, as we've discussed, but I think overall, like I, I think it's quite impressive how they've been able to kind of wrangle this this mess together to try and start mm-hmm. building towards an ending. Yeah, yeah. Again, we emphasized this last time, but it, it bears repeating. George is still stuck on how to figure out like the last two. Well, I would say about half the content in the last two episodes has not happened in the books. 
yeah. of this season, and that's that's kind of where we're at. There there is some staggering there in terms of what's new and what's old, um, but like it, he's still trying to bridge the gap from here because the story had gotten so bloated by that point. I mean, it's not to say that it's not enjoyable by that point, but you got to get the momentum rolling towards the end. Yeah. somewhere along the way and that's definitely what they do here it's just like we're cutting everything out that does not need to be in here um but yeah anyway uh hard home is very good mm-hmm. yes yeah most most of the stuff i have is just things i thought were cool but i did want to highlight one of the particular wilding elders the woman uh who was like listening to john and then she sends her daughters away she puts up a great fight and then she has this moment where she sees all these whites who are children and it's this great moment where she's like, it's not spoken to me until like, oh, she can't bring herself to kill these even zombified children. And then she just like crosses her weapons across her chest and they mm-hmm. jump on her and eat her alive. And then later, well, not eat her alive, but they kill her. And then later she rises as one of the whites. Like, oh, that was super well done. And she was played by the leader of Das Sound Machine from Pitch Perfect 2, <laughs> which is great. And she was really good <laughs> yeah. in that. Um,. Yeah, and that fight where John is fighting the not Benjen, and he keeps turning so- weapons into ice with his big sword or spear or whatever, and then John's like, "I have Longclaw," and then Longclaw doesn't turn to ice, and John totally kills the White Walker. It was great, and I was, mm-hmm. and I was like, and she was like, "Oh, I guess Valyrian steel is dragon glass. I guess it all works." But most of me was like, "The power of Jor Mormont." <laughs> well. Hard Home, correct me if I'm wrong, it does not, like, none of the POV characters experience Hard Home in the book, correct? It's all all exposition of, like, this is a thing that happened. Yes, and specifically, it's like, oh, some really horrible thing happened there, and there's bodies in the water, and I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it's entirely, yeah, show invention. Well, if if you're looking at it that way, I feel like it, it would be easy for them to have made the mistake of oh, we need a big action scene to happen towards the end of the season. Who cares about context? Just have something big happen. But I feel like Hardhome serves like a really good function in in the context yeah. of the story. Because, you know, we've been told for how many seasons that the White Walkers are coming and that they're dangerous and that they turn the dead people into zombies. We haven't actually seen it, especially on this scale. Yeah. And I feel like it's so important to be like, yeah, literally every person that you saw die in this horrific battle, yeah, they all just rise at the end and they're now they're they're in the the uh the White Walker army. Good luck. I, I yeah. think yeah. I think that is so important in raising the stakes and, and having mm-hmm. John be the one to see that. And also going along with that, having John be there, I feel like they're able to justify that in a, in a you know, very very convincing way. Um you know, I was kind of worried when, when that happened about it being kind of like Star Trek where it, so many times it's like, oh, the away team is the captain, the first officer, the chief medical officer, like all the important people because they're the stars of the show. But if this were anywhere near realistic, they would not be the ones to go. Sure. I feel like this this actually comes up with a convincing reason as to why Jon Snow has to be there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very, very impressive all around. I, it's a great sequence. And I was really happy that Ed lived because <laughs> Ed, like, this was this, – and, and I thought they did a great job in, in Watchers on the Wall and choosing which sort of ancillary characters from that storyline would, would die. But it was nice that, like, oh, good, Ed's still here. 
I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. This, and and I thought they they did a great job in that episode of like, okay, uh, Da Sound Machine, we're gonna build her up, and make you like her, and she'll die. So there's still an emotional effect on you, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh God, are we not like. I mean, I like Ed, but it's not like he's he's not Gilly, but you know, it's sure. it's it's a different kind of thing. Um, right. I love I love Sam and Gilly. Still love Sam and Gilly. I got pretty angry when the two guys came in to attempt to assault her because we had just finished season episode six, and I was like, "Show seriously, are we doing this again?" <laughs> um, but also, that is a scene where it's kind of surprising that hadn't happened sooner, with like the type of people we are told are at the wall. Like it's it's not all Sams and Grens. Like there are some Carl Tanners in there too. Um, mm-hmm. But then Sam is so great in that, and when he says, like, I killed a White Walker and a Thin, I think I'll take my chances with you. And then Ghost shows up. It was great. <laughs> yep. And he's terrifying. I admittedly, like, while I was watching that, I was like, okay, I I want Ghost to just, like, rip their arms off. But this is a show of consequences, so if he did, that would have consequences that I really wouldn't like. So it's okay that he's just scaring them away. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I just continue to like all of that. And one of my notes I wrote was, um, I was writing down, it, does Sam end up going to Old Town? And the note I wrote was, does, dash, dash. Oh, yes, he does. Sam just asked about it. Never mind. Which is, I mean, it's a good, like, in both the books and the show, they do this where it's like, oh, we're sending Sam away right yeah. before John gets betrayed so that we're able to time that well. Yes. Um, which is yes. a nice, like, and of course, Eamon's death is beautiful and oh, tragic so and he um, mentions egg he talks about egg mm-hmm. and he gets to be with a baby now uh alex do you did, did you were you able to follow the context of egg either the first time watching or this time do you well i think they have some dialogue in there that helps to i can't remember exactly i think sam is explaining to gilly why he is saying egg okay but did yeah. you pick up on what he said? <laughs> what the explanation was? Yeah, I was just like, oh, it's one of the Targaryens. I get it. Okay. One of them's named Aegon. I don't the, remember which one. It was probably the Mad King. Or maybe not. Who cares? No, the Mad um, King was Aerys. Yeah. So it goes, George! I think it's the Mad King's father. Um, if I want to say, maybe maybe grandfather. Because um, Aemon is very old. Uh, but he's actually the star of, there is like some novellas that George has written. Um uh, mm-hmm. In, in the meantime, since the last book came out, I think, uh, <laughs> about um, two characters, one being the the egg, titular egg, because the books are called Duncan Egg, um, and the other one is Duncan the Tall, who is this warrior guy who's super tall, and he's supposed to be like the ancestor of a lot of these super tall people we see in the show, like the Cleganes and the Brand. Anyway, it's neat. I, I like that bit of backstory. I would... I don't know what all they're trying to do with the um, prequel show, but I'd be curious if we ever get any info on them because the prequel show is supposed to be all about Targaryens. It might be earlier than that, like way earlier than that. But anyway, bit of uh, errata there, errata. Um, um, yeah. I also I think that's all oh, very effective with oh, Eamon. Eamon's line about I had a dream that I was old, like mm-hmm. that's so beautiful. And then during his funeral. Uh, even Alistair, like, like does a little sniff after he, he like, like, even Alistair is like, nope, this this one stings. But then yeah. he's mean to Sam, so, like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, was this before or after the threat? 
<laughs> Failed threat, but a threat nonetheless. We also uh, get a scene where Diana Rigg and Jonathan Price acted each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, there's oh, a man. there's a few different scenes in King's Landing All that the kind of harken back to. It's yeah, just wonderful um, yeah. this season because you you really just have it's like Cersei, Elena, um, Littlefinger, and Jonathan Price are all bouncing around in there. I love how we're uh, just calling him Jonathan Price. Jo- I mean, man, like <laughs> he's one of the, like the planet's the, great actors. Yes, the the monologue he gives to uh, Cersei before he has her arrested is oof. Like, yeah, it just it's it's so rich. Um, unlike the High Sparrow, uh, <laughs> I do like that he's all about like, no, no, I'm a humble man, you know, meager living, but we are going to punish you in the most pageantry way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, he, he is just unbelievable. Um, also before I forget, Braun sings in these episodes and I love it. <laughs> I love that song. Sure. Jerome Flynn's got a great voice. He was part of a pop duo. All good. Um, I want to, there, there's, first of all, going back to Hard Home to knock this out. Um, yep. one thing I did really appreciate about that was, uh, John and his, uh, politicizing with the wildlings um specifically a the fact that they're like hey who killed mance raider and he's like well i did and then it's like john John, get some context please (laughs) john don't lead with that (laughs) he's he's very very stark like in that way where he's just kind of giving the blunt truth and it's like wait there's more it was it was a mercy kill um but i also really like the fact that he does not convince all the wildlings to join him Ultimately, it doesn't really matter because they all get kind of mixed up and they're like, oh, crap, we need to go. Um, But I think it's really effective that, like, even... I mean, again, it goes back to the fact that the Wildling... Or the Night's Watch ends up betraying him after he saves the Wildlings. The Wildlings also refuse to work with the Night's Watch. Like, some of them just cannot accept it. Yeah. And I, I really think that all that tension works really well where it's like John is trying to pull these parties together... Uh, and he's giving them very good reasoning for why they need to work together because they will all die if they do not, and they cannot yeah. accept it. Um, and I think that's really powerful, and that speaks a lot to what the not, the White Walker story is doing in the show. Um, it's going to continue to have similar themes, I think, and kind of play out similar conflicts, uh, where it's just like the people have to unite, and uh, they're not so good at that. <laughs> and yeah. I think that works really well. Um, yeah, and it helps that John is in that scene because that also drives things home for the wildlings. That they're like, "Oh, we really do need the the Night's Watch help. Like, yeah. we really can do this alone." Um, also, one one doesn't get in a boat; he just walks through the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's good uh, stuff. Um, uh, another bigger thing I want to talk about is episode seven because we haven't really focused on stuff mm-hmm. that happens in that, but. Uh, I really, really like the directing of that episode. And I mentioned yeah. this, that Miguel Sapochnik, when he, he comes on, it's a very similar to, I think, Alan Taylor and David Nutter in previous seasons where it's like their first episode happens and you're like, oh, this is, this is neat. Like there's, you've, you've yeah. done something here. I like what you've done with the place. Um, because he, like, you can immediately tell there's a, some real um, thought and artistry put into the way shots are composed um, there's a particular shot in the jail in Dorne, uh, where it's brought is in one cell and then the sand snakes are in the other and they're crossing each other. There's this window 
in the middle that's like lighting everything and this really like it, it it's a, an image you could use as a background <laughs> like you could put mm-hmm. that as your computer background yeah. like it's a really pretty image and it's just of a jail like it's, it's not even that mm-hmm. important <laughs> it's just like oh this is like a really gorgeous shot um and there's also uh what is it gonna say uh oh there's a few different shots of Littlefinger inspecting his brothel after the um, Faith Militant has wrecked it. Yeah. And they're really gorgeous, and he's kind of like, ah, I I actually had some sentimentality in this place. And, like, this <laughs> was a... I mean, for one, they've destroyed, like, a source of revenue I had, but two, like, this was a thing that was important to me, and, like, yeah. I, I did a lot of dealings. I have memories here. I, I'm a bad guy, but I can appreciate nostalgia. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then he meets Elena there, and that's a great conversation. Um, but yeah, the, I think, oh, there's also one where, um, Cersei is talking to Marjorie in her cell and Marjorie hucks a bowl at her mm-hmm. and it's this really dynamic, like powerful shot that kind of like makes you jump, um, yeah. because it's, it comes out of nowhere and it's a, a like dynamic movement, right. um, that again, like even small things like that are really, really effective. Like you can tell he's putting a lot into making this look grand and look, uh, right. give it the scope it needs to have. Um, also, Eamon's death is in that episode, and same mm-hmm. same thing. Um, the The way the music swells is like the camera pulls up over him, and he's saying, "I I dreamt that I was old." It's, yeah, it's good. It's real good. That good episode show. is is titled "The Gift," and my initial thought that it is that was going to some in some way involve that area north of the wall called yeah. the Gift, but it doesn't. It's only about Tyrion being considered the gift to Daenerys. And that's it, <laughs> which is still fine. That's fine. But I was like, oh, maybe that'll, you know, be, it'll mean both of those things. Crown yeah. of gold. That's one that uh, that always confuses me. Like, I think I always confuse it with episode six of season six, maybe. Or episode mm. seven of season six, maybe. Because there, I think there's, like, something maybe semi-related to that. And I always think that that's this one. And, like, I, I'll yeah. address it when I get to that episode. But uh, Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. The, the the we're at least getting in the right direction because that's like oh that's a title that could mean multiple things yeah. if you you know made it important right uh, <laughs> we're, we're, that's a trending in the right direction title I would say it's it's not quite to the the level of some TV shows that where it's like episode one chapter one episode two <laughs> chapter two and you go to like season six and it's like chapter forty nine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm looking at other, other important things. Um, we could probably talk for days about other bits of hard home that we like because the yeah actual um like scenes and the, the way the action is shot in that. Whole sequence is super intense and horrifying. Uh, there's a really long running shot of of John um, that will, I think, get uh, visually expanded upon in later episodes, uh, that, mm-hmm. or in, in a quite cool way. Um, but John's like running through this uh, sort of war torn zombie area as, as zombies are like leaping at him and he's knocking them away, and he's kind of dodging through them and trying to uh, get to the dragon glass that they left in the the hut. Um, it's just really cool. There, yeah. obviously, there's all the stuff with the the fence where they close the doors on a bunch of wildlings, and then they all die behind the doors. And you're like, well, "What's happening back there?" That's a little concerning. Um, I believe. And then they all I believe in that through. It's yeah. I believe in that shot where he's running. He like 
does like a spin and he knocks a, a, like one of the whites and the bones of the white like fly at the camera. <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very good. It's very Spy Kids 3D. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so um, you know, the, I was thinking just the same thing. Like, just <laughs> the same thing. Uh, some things that I liked about episode six, I liked Arya's new hairstyle. Um, I really love when Tyrion is telling uh, Jorah about like, his backstory, but also that Jorah died. Like, and Ian Glenn plays that so well. Mm-hmm. Um, one, the head of the slavers that capture them is Adewale Akinoye Agbaje, who played Killer Croc in Suicide Squad, but more importantly, Mr. Echo from Lost. And... Uh, I, I have a note here that says, admittedly, that's exactly how teens kiss. Because there's a shot of Marcella and Tristane making out. <laughs> but it's the most, like, tentative, like, meh, meh, meh. And I was like, oh, that's so awkward. But that's how they do it. So, okay, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> point, uh, point yours. Um, I, I like how <clears throat> Oliver and Lancel both end up providing these confessions that uh, jail Loras and Cersei. And I like that Oliver has just been kind of like, oh, that's just like the guy. He's just like a guy on in the mm-hmm. show. He's just kind of there. But how they managed to bring him... It, it was all like a condensed version of Tyrion's trial. Where it's like these, in, yeah. these things that we thought were just incidental have now been brought back to condemn a character in a, in a pretty powerful way. I thought that was really effective. And Diana Riggs, great. I think Correct. I wrote that a couple of times. Um, also, like, Tommen is just, like, horribly, oh, emotionally Tommen. traumatized in, in all these episodes. I just feel so like, bad I don't, for him. I can't do anything. <laughs> I'm impressed that they managed to... They're wringing a lot of drama out of him by going in the complete opposite direction from Joffrey, where it's like, Joffrey was mm-hmm. a monster and did everything wrong. Tommen's an angel and can't... And is ineffective. Like, he's so yep. pure... He's so easily manipulated, but also can't ever push through the things he actually try. He he wants to do. Yeah, um, they're 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 very effective with him, and I think that Dean Charles Chapman's quite good. There's, uh, there's some good stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, also, in episode six, we get some uh, faceless man games with Arya mm-hmm. uh, that are quite cool because we. I, this kind of goes into episode six, and then I think seven and eight maybe as well. Um, we revisit her backstory to some extent. Like she's trying to tell little lies in her backstory. And so it's kind of like a synopsis of what she's been through so far, but also mm-hmm. she's, she's using it to try to force herself away from her own identity. Um, yeah. And also they mention he, she tries to tell him that, uh, tell Jockin that she hates the hound and he, he slaps her cause that's a lie. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I like the hound. So, <laughs> uh, what else was I going to say? I'm just kind of scanning through my notes at this point. It's good airtime. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, they're in, uh, going back to the hard home. We're just jumping around here. Um, there's also some really good stuff when Tyrion first meets Daenerys in the big court chamber whatever mm-hmm. you call it um because you've got i love the immediate role reversal where jorah comes up and he's like 
I've I've brought you Tyrion. He's he's my gift. You know. The, yeah. Welcome me back, please. And then that switches immediately, like the power dynamic, as Tyrion starts to put his skills out and his charisma out there, and and like win over. Be like, oh yeah, you know, you should trust me because I've done all this stuff. I've killed all these Lannisters. <laughs> um, I uh, I'm very experienced. I'd be a good advisor. And he starts to walk up the stairs, and he becomes level with Jorah. Yeah, uh, which is really, I think it's a really effect. Like you've, his, he's kind of taking up ha- half the screen, and then Jorah's in the background. Um, yeah. as he starts to be like, well, maybe you should send Jorah away. I know he got me here. Don't <laughs> kill him. But uh, <laughs> if I was your advisor, I would say don't keep him. And so that's a really effective like scene of him kind of putting forward his power and, and, and starting to gain some influence on Daenerys. Yeah. Um, again, there's a lot of really good visual stuff in there. Right. Also, Varys pops up briefly just to be like, <laughs> oh, hey, it's me, your old friend. <laughs> Still here. <laughs> okay, bye. Good old Varys. I think the only other uh, the only other note I have is that there's a great bit where uh, Jock and Hagar explains how insurance works to Arya, and Arya's like, "That doesn't make any sense," and he's like, "Eh," because <laughs> he's like talking exactly. about the guy who's and then he then he barrels the camera for twenty minutes. <laughs> They're talking about the guy who's uh, having people gamble on whether or not their ships will make it back, so that the money can be given to their families. And she's like, why would they gamble on their own ships not coming back? How, what is that about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, yeah. Agreed. Uh, do we want to go ahead and do grades? Oh, yeah. I forgot we do those for... <laughs> what, are y- what are y'all giving it? Hmm. I'm torn. I can go first. Um, okay. I'm going to go with A minus. Um. This 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 season is it, definitely not perfect. It's got some flaws, but I I feel like I don't know. This this last set of five episodes was just like really really solid, and it kind of mm. for the most part, you know, obviously we discussed some of the, the the minor issues that we had, some some not so minor, but I think it, it did a good job of kind of compensating for some of the clunkiness I felt in the first couple episodes of the season. Um, yeah, I think it's still really, really good. And I still think season two is probably the weakest of, yeah. of all of them thus far. No, we're, we're past the halfway point. So um, real quick while we deliberate, what, what were your previous grades for the other four seasons? All right. So starting from season one, a minus B plus a plus a, a minus. Okay. Um, I'm going to lock in A- minus as well, which makes me also have the exact same grades as you up to this point. Um, <laughs> Season eight's going to be weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sp- yeah, it's going to be weird when you suddenly realize it's an A-plus season. Um, <laughs> oh, I was, th- I, was, I was thinking, like, we would both, like, talk about it from opposite places as we <laughs> tend to do, where I'm just like, yeah, but it's got all these problems, and you're like, but it has all these strengths, and then we both give it, like, a, a B-. minus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, classic here come the sequels maneuver. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I think that for me, it's, it's effective and works. I mean, almost just as well as season one in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, it's got some highs that are higher than season one. It's got some lows that are lower. 
Uh, I couldn't quite put it on the level of season four because I think season four really raises the bar in terms of just how insane that season gets. Um, and so this is like, oh, it's still Game of Thrones. It's still very high quality, but it's not quite a, a return to that form. Like, we don't quite reach that level. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, season four also has problems uh, in terms of, like, uh, you know, sensitivity problems, not not right. just in terms of uh, flaws. Um, and so I think there's some overlap there. And I, I think, hopefully, from what I can remember, we kind of do move away from that um, moving forward. But... Ultimately, yeah, I think A minus, uh, bringing us full circle back to season one um, is where I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna do B plus. Um, this, okay. I think season two is the flattest of of the seasons, but this season, and it really is just because like it upset me as much as it did, and I have like sensitivity slash like ethical issues with stuff sure. in this season. Whereas, Ethical like, is a better way to put it. Yeah, it was in season four. There's only one scene that really did that. I that I'm immediately thinking of, and I there is really really good stuff in this season, and so it's one of those like high highs, low lows kind of thing. And I feel like it was a little clunky at the beginning. I I didn't feel like this show suffered from not having the books in the way that other people do. I think other people went, they don't have the books, and their ideas are bad, and their changes are bad. My my interpretation of it was. They're they are now bowling without the the rail guards, you know. Yeah. And so it's like they're naturally gonna like list into the gutter a little bit before they get back on track. Like it's it's, and I don't think it was them being bad writers or having bad ideas. It's just like okay, we don't have the same kind of parameters to work in, so we're gonna yeah. we're gonna waver a little bit. Um, Doing yeah, some restructuring. I, I, <clears throat> uh, we're tearing out some drywall. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Putting in a new porch. <laughs> a new porch called Dorn, which the neighbors don't like for some reason. <laughs> they say we don't use it very often. I don't, but it's 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 winter. Like we're not going to go out there in the cold. Come on. <laughs> but we got a little inflatable pool. It's also a doggy door. I don't understand why it's so small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. My recommendation this week. Uh. I'm going to reach into the backlogs. This uh, season introduced a very controversial thing, which is fast zombies. Um, a lot of people don't like fast zombies, so I'm going to recommend a fast zombie movie. Mm-hmm. It's not really zombies. Uh, this is a movie called The Crazies from 2010, uh, directed by someone I forgot. It is a remake of a George Romero movie from the 70s, and it is uh, this small like Midwestern town this virus, like this rage virus hits and people lose all their faculties and just, you know, start tearing into each other. And so Timothy Oliphant, as the sheriff, has to take his wife, Rada Mitchell, their friend, Danielle Panabaker, and Deputy Joe Anderson, um, who's really good, and handle this uh, situation. I watched it at the beginning of quarantine, which probably wasn't a great idea because they talked a lot about the virus <laughs> and how the virus is making people go crazy. Um, but it's a really well. It's a nice. It's a nice little horror movie. It's pretty bloody. It's uh, pretty grim, but it's it's not like traumatizing or not for me. I I, I found it uh, pretty cool and effective. And I believe it is still on Amazon Prime. I think the original is. So I'm, I believe that the remake is as well. The crazies. Uh, I've got a couple of recommendations this week. One oh, more well, obvious. All right. 
one more obvious and then one not so obvious. Um, my, my first one's going to be The Boys Season 2. Um, at, at the point sure. that we're recording, they've only released the first three episodes. I know everyone's up in arms about the release schedule, whatever. Um, still really good. I, I, I still love that show. I know Tyler, Britton, y'all don't really care for it very much. Um, just based I on watched the, it, the so one episode you know. watched or however much you got through. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really, really, really like it. <laughs> um, I hear I hear good things about the season, so. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Um, my other one is going to be a film that a friend of the podcast, Cecilia, showed me called uh, Her Smell. Oh, gotcha, sure. Which is a 2018 film from director Alex Ross Perry, and I have not seen any of his other films, but it's it's like... It's got, like, a surprisingly memorable cast or, like, recognizable cast. Um, Elizabeth Moss, uh, Amber Heard's in it, uh, Cara Delevingne, Dan Stevens. Mm. Um, I think Eric Stoltz is in it, too. Um, huh. Yeah, it's got, like, it's, it's a really good cast, but it's basically about this uh, kind of 90s punk rock band. And uh, Elizabeth Moss is at the head of the band, and she's, like, crazy and losing her mind because of drugs and and just kind of the stress of, 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 you know, kind of leading a band and trying to stay on top. And it's basically how, like, this band just slowly crumbles and falls apart um, because of her. And it's 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 almost shot... It, 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 it's structured like a stage play where it's just, like, these long extended sequences in, in like, these single locations. And it's, like, it, it's really well done. A lot of it's, like, in single takes. It's, I don't know, the, the acting's really good. Um, Elizabeth Moss is just crazy and and great um yeah she's great yeah i i I really really enjoyed it um yeah i I had no expectations going into it because i had not heard of the movie at all um but yeah it's it's on hbo max so i highly recommend it that's awesome oh that's cool i i I had heard of it but not very much about it so that's nice that's good and the reason i was wavering on the title at the beginning was because the band is called she something and for some reason, it is stuck in my brain that that's what the movie is called. It's not called Her Smell. It's called She Something. And it's <laughs> she, she Smell. So I, I was just scrolling up. I was scrolling up on the page to be like, wait, wait, wait. Let me confirm. Okay, it's Her Smell. That's what it's called. Okay, we're good. <laughs> well, um, I also I'm I'm gonna do. It's more like one and a half recommendations. One is just like I discovered that I really liked an, a very uh, well praised movie, and that is Fargo. Um, mm, I have yeah. been interested in the show for a while. I have not started yet. I think it's all on Hulu, so I, I've been kind of circling around that for a while. And I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this on. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. Like I I think that is probably uh, I I am notoriously uh, like known for my recency bias sometimes when I really like a movie. <laughs> um, I like to I like to get a little hyperbolic, but I do think it's probably my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Um, sure. You're not alone. Who they that. are. They, they, uh, yeah, and I know that it's like, again, it is a very well praised movie. It's not like a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyone, anyone, no, 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 no. I, like... mean, I mean, like, no, I mean, like, you're in good company. Like, a lot of people will really like that movie. Sure. Um, but it's just fantastic. It's, uh, yeah. Francis McDormand, uh, is so good. Um, mm-hmm. like, it's a, it's a very, I, one of my favorite fictional characters is, uh, Agent Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks. Um, and I felt like there was a lot of DNA there in terms sure. of just like a very wholesome person trying to work their way out of a just like awful mess. Um, 
and uh yeah i i thought it was great uh, uh it's it's a movie that i was, i'm going to i think continue to think about um steve buscemi is great in it mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's other great actors and yeah so uh i wanted to give a sh- give a shout out to that little hidden gem <laughs> fargo um because I, I thought it was wonderful um the my my real uh nitty-gritty recommendation this week is first cow uh which is uh oh, wow a movie that I first heard about through, um, I think Ryan Johnson recommended it on Twitter, like <laughs> way back when. Um, it's a movie that I think did awards rounds in 2019 and then kind of like got released through digital or whatever. May have done, maybe have been in theaters like very early on this year for a little bit. Um, but uh, it is a movie about a, a couple of friends, um, a, a guy from Maryland and a, a Chinese man who meet up uh, in the Pacific Northwest in like the 1820s. And uh, they end up developing this plot about stealing milk from a cow. And that's, that's basically the (laughs) gist. Um, And it's, it's very slow. It's very atmospheric. Um, It's, it's done in a, it's got that kind of lighthouse thing, the aspect ratio. It's like Mm. a box. Um, And uh, it's, it's a good time. Um, Yeah. It, I think it takes a while to get into. And there's a point where I was like, ah, because this was just like my shot of like I've heard a lot of really good people like or people I really respect the opinions of like this movie so I want to try and give it a shot. I was about a third of the way through and I was kind of like, "Yeah, this is slow. I'm not loving it." Um but it really picks up. It takes a while for them to find to get to the cow part. Yeah. <laughs> and after that point it really picks up in terms of the the plot and it's a a very engrossing uh, movie about like the friendship between these two guys. Uh and uh, it was really great. And um, maybe from Arrested Development is in it for like the first scene oh, wow. for like thirty seconds. <laughs> and it was kind of <laughs> odd. Um, uh, John Magaro is one of the main guys, and I who I think has been like in a couple of random things <clears throat> I've seen, um, and I pretty much did not recognize any of the rest of the cast. Uh, the director of the movie is someone I should know, probably Kelly Reichardt, um, who apparently has done other lots of lots of small random indie movies. Um, and so uh, I definitely want to check out some of our other stuff because yeah. uh, I thought it was it was fascinating. It's a good time. I, that is a movie I know I've heard the title, and that is like I, sure. I now know exponentially more about that movie. Than I, <laughs> yeah, that than was I that was where it. I was for a long time, and oh, I don't wow, remember awesome. why exactly I like got inspired because I, I ended up renting it, um, but I just like. I think I had just seen enough recommendations that I was like, I need to watch this. I I need to know sure. what it is. Uh, and I is that was another it HBO, HBO Max. No, that, that that was a uh, just like Amazon. Prime. Oh, cool, I think cool. Amazon Prime had like a rental discount going on. When gotcha. I it. So I was like, why not? You know, nice. Live a little. <laughs> Those are good. I like that you guys are starting to out niche me. <laughs> we're gonna continue to do it until we're just like. We're watching a, a lost uh, foreign film uh, from the, like, 60s. <laughs> and I'm like, I watched Monsters, Inc. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Uh, oh, sure. man, those are good recommendations. Um, any, any other big news to impart? Because we're getting into season six next week. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Theoretically. Is that, a, is that a prompt to me, specifically? Because I feel like we should probably mention Just, I mean, if anyone, if anyone has something to share, speak now. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Alex, thing that... Scruffy, Katrina, anybody? <laughs> the, the best kept secret of Here Come the Sequels. Um, <laughs> I, I actually am, am having a, a child in, yep. 
uh, the coming weeks. Uh, and in fact, uh, as of this recording, it will be tomorrow, theoretically. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a thing that's happening. I don't know how that's going to affect the release schedule, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know uh, if this uh, the, it is a boy, and I don't know if he's going to um, be able to give any sort of insightful discourse on Zack Snyder movies, <laughs> um, at least, you know, in his first couple of years of age. So um, probably not going to be best to have him on the podcast for a while. Look, he'll uh, be around I, long I, enough that, that he can watch the Snyder Cut as it's airing and, and fully understand That's it. true. That's true. What's <laughs> going to be great is... Down. <laughs> he'll he'll see the trailer in like at like two weeks old and be like, even I know this is a played out song. <laughs> it's, like, it's like one of those one of those Twitter uh, like viral tweets where someone is is saying, my three year old son just gave me a discourse right. on the <laughs> the effects of capitalism. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is derivative. <laughs> so uh, we don't know we don't know exactly how that's uh, gonna affect moving forward. We, you might get some fun surprise episodes from. Britain and Alex, um, the we are recording a, a week in advance as of this recording. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're I'll be able to space this out a little bit farther. But um, as far as when we'll pick up with the next season, that's hard to say. Um, the you guys might have to start the, the Spy Kids franchise without me. So, <laughs> oh, we would never, we would never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, obviously, we're all very excited. Uh, to meet Tyler's little baby. But yeah, um, Alex and I, we got a few ideas cooking in the old brain box. Um, so yeah, just, you know, stay tuned. We're going to, we're going to keep having stuff, stuff. We're going to keep giving you content. We just can't guarantee that it'll be Game of Thrones at the same, uh, rate because, you know, (laughs) big things are happening. (laughs) (laughs) It was a hard decision. Uh, Tyler's to, having to a baby. Which... Alex got a haircut. I might get a haircut. <laughs> Good times. I got a book coming in from on hold at the library. I might got crack into that. You know, it's a lot to do. Um, Tyler, if people want to send me and Alex a recommendation or idea, show ideas, or wish you congratulations on your growing beautiful family, how can they do that? This is where I really wish I I knew Alex's uh, personal email off the top of my head. <laughs> um, instead, I will say uh, you can contact us uh, at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at HCTSequels. Uh, you can find us just in the internet at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. We're also on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. We, we got the whole gamut. Uh, we don't have YouTube because YouTube is trash. Um so yeah, <laughs> take, take that, Jenna Marbles. <laughs> um, and uh, if you want to reach Alex, you can find him at snykids420 at hotmail.com. You can also find me uh, under the sea right next to Titanic. That's true. <laughs> Traveling the, the globe underwater. Look, you may look like I'm in a crocodile. It's a crocodile sub. <laughs> Uh, well, guys, uh, we we will some some collection of us. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. I've been Britain. I've been Alex. I've been Tyler. Oh, oh. Jinx. Uh, we're done. We're calling it. We can't, no, can't do it. No, <laughs> Jinx. You owe each other sodas.